Hey there, beautiful people, and welcome to Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast that highlights the Black and Brown experience at independent schools. My name is Gina Parker-Collins. I am an indie school mom and founder of RISE, Resources in Independent School Education, and we focus on access, application, and enrollment among families of color across the country. Yay! And I'm Sam Osborne. I'm a RISE advisor and proud alum of a New York City independent school. I just completed my MBA from Wharton, and I'm headed to a management consulting firm in the spring. And it's not just the scholars' experiences you'll hear. You'll get perspectives from alumni, educators, and the most respected thought leaders in this space. Today, we interview documentarian and filmmaker Andre Robert Lee and do a deep dive into Prep School Negro, the famed documentary that he directed and produced. Andre is a filmmaker, keynote speaker, consultant, writer, and educator. He's committed his entire career to building an army of change agents, including the New York City Public Schools, the Ford Foundation, Miramax Films, Urban World Film Movement, Diana Ross, BET Universal, PBS, HBO, Sundance, Picture House, and DreamWorks. Additional media credits include I'm Not Racist, Am I? The Election Effects Project for Paramount TV, Virtually Free, which is still on the festival route, guys, and The Road to Justice, a film that documents the civil rights tours Andre has led throughout the American South. Oh, oh, also, Andre's also served as a professor of writing at the Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania. Go Quakers. Huh, that was the abbreviated version, guys. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at Articulating. That's Artic, period, you lady. Thanks for listening. You know, I tried to get him last month and he was like, nah, nah, we need to, we need to go, in, we need to go into January. I'm like, okay. And then I see the, uh, the Lisa Ling stuff going on. I'm oh, like, no. oh, was you, I mean, Andre, did you, when we... We are recording, Sam, so I know we always find good stuff before we start, you know, as soon as we hit record. But did you think that you would be where you are right now as a, as a filmmaker when we sat at Seti, Seti Pani? Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's right. Right. On Lenox Avenue in Harlem. I did not think any of this would happen. 13 we years sitting ago. sitting at Seti Pani. Not at all. No. It's a shock. It's, uh, it's wonderful and beautiful and great. And I'm getting to pursue my dreams, uh, but I never imagined that any of this would happen. Every day is a beautiful surprise. Well, okay. So before you got on, Gina, I kind of talked at Andre um, <laughs> and I let him know, you know, I was just talking him through my exposure to Prep School Negro, however many years ago that was um, when Andre was... 13 years. Okay. Now see, okay. Can we actually just start there? Because I could have sworn it was the 10 year anniversary. And in my Googleation, I was seeing, you know, the release date of 2012. Could you kindly clarify that, Andre? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. So the film, there are two versions of the film. And 13 years ago was when the first one was completed. And that is the educational version. And that's the one that's 53 minutes long. And when that film was completed and I started doing the touring and getting around, it's interesting because I thought that I would just do a festival run and it'd be there. 
but it didn't do well in the festivals. It wasn't accepted. It didn't do well in the Hollywood business world. And I was just kind of like, Eck. and I've used that one to go around and show it to high schools and colleges and anyone that would host a screening, but, or I should say, and a member of the Academy Awards called me and said, Hey, I saw your film. You did an independent film. That's a very hard thing to do. We like it. Would you consider making a longer version to potentially qualify for a run? And I said, uh, let me think about it. Yes. Oh. So we cut a longer version that was completed 10 years ago. Uh, and that's the one that's 71 minutes long. So there are two versions of the film, the educational version and then the extended version of the film. So okay. educational I, is 13 years old and extended is 10 years old. So I think I know, I think I understand visually the distinction between it because in revisiting the Prep School Negro last week in preparation for this podcast, I realized that I was watching the educational version. And what, what I didn't see that I saw before and I was really interested in was the visit to the affluent Black girl's home. I think that that's in the longer version because I didn't see that circle back. Uh, and why that was so important to me was because earlier in the day, I was listening to uh, the audio of Gray Boy. Oh, which is fantastic. Finding Blackness in a White World. And at that very moment, he was referencing your visit to Penn Charter on Diversity Day and him watching the documentary, two things happened. One, he realized that, oh my gosh, that's my cafeteria. They, they filmed some of the students right here at Penn Charter. And then he also referenced the girl who he felt like he most aligned with the, uh, because of her affluence. And then I realized, oh, we didn't circle back there. That was a long way to say that I, I finally recognize that there's there's two, thanks, Sam, there's two that have different dates wow. and two different presentations. Wow. And it sort of sounds like one is a depth and one is a breadth as far as how it's reaching audiences. Okay. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I'm so glad to hear you mention Gray Boy. That, that's, and I may be jumping ahead here, but you know, that's the moment when, when I was a junior in college, I read um, Lorraine Carey's um, Black Ice. And oh my God, yes. And to see, when I read Gray Boy, uh, it, I, I'm embarrassed because I saw him in a restaurant. He goes, oh, hey, Mr. Lee, can you read my manuscript? And I was like, oh, you know, sure, 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 I will. And he emailed me a copy and I didn't read it. I was just too busy and caught up. And then the book came out and I read it and I didn't know. And I, I, it's, it's like, I just know the page. I, I thought it was page 55. I'm not sure what page it is now. But I read the book and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like this is, here is the passing down of the legacy and the moment, like telling your story and they just keep getting better and better. And there, there, are number, there are a number of movies and books and projects right now. You know, I, every time I watch Blackish, I'm like, come on, somebody say Prep School of Negro so I can call my attorney and get my credit on this <laughs> Show. Well, you know, I heard that Yara and her mother have Gray Boy in development. Oh, good. Good. Yes. That's wonderful. And you are mentioned in the book. So, you know, there no one is going to overlook, to me, it was the first. So Black Ice, thank you for introducing Black Ice to me, but to watch on the screen the story, the achievements, and the challenges of so many young Black scholars, Black and Brown scholars, you brought that to the forefront, and you dared to call it the Prep School Negro. Mm -hmm. And yes, that got folks' attention. 
lit the fire. <laughs> the prep school Negro, right? I remember saying to my head of school, Dominic Randolph at Riverdale Country School, hey, listen, there's a documentary we got to show and it's called The Prep School Negro. <laughs> How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the name? He's like, it's all good. It's all good. And we were so thrilled to be, I know we weren't the first, Andre, I keep trying to put myself as first, but <laughs> we were among those who said, this is something that needs to be seen and heard. It's full representation of our lived experiences. So thank you. And thank you for inviting us into your home and meeting your mama and Robin. Hey, Robin, how's she, how's she doing? She good? Great. She's doing so well. Doing so well. That's great. Well, thank you, because it is, it's part of our canon. It is our canon. And, uh, and you continue to, to show films that challenge the dominant culture and our place among it, because it is part of our inheritance too. So again, thank you. My, my absolute pleasure. You know, I, it's, it's interesting. I, need, I feel like I need to research just a little bit, but I'm pretty sure, you know, so right now I'm working on a few film projects and I'm actually working on, you know, how much I can say about this, really fantastic, intense project about artists working inside prisons. And the, produ the exec producer on it is a graduate of um, your school, Gina. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, and we talked about it. He was like, mm, I think I probably cut class the day you screened. <laughs> that's cool. All right. <laughs> I didn't write like, that's, that's honest. But he, like, his family has stepped forward and they are getting involved and and making documentaries happen. And we've been partnering. We've been, we've, we, we have one film that is like in the works, it's happening. Another film that we're considering and pondering, but it's, it's such a moment to think that, like for Gray Boy, he was in the audience. I found this other young man who was in the, went to this, went to a private school, went to Riverdale Country Day, and now is out there making projects. He came to me saying, we are concerned with making sure we get underrepresented voices an opportunity and a chance to um, work as high and as at the level that we see many other filmmakers working at. So let's partner and go together. So it's such a, you know, I'm sitting here like planting those seeds and interrupting those students in high school at that moment. Yes. Is paying off in, 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 in the long run. I mean, you're talking about the impact that you've had on individuals who have chosen creative careers, but you know, so many countless others that have pursued careers in other industries and other spaces that were able to witness the, the power that was prep school Negro. And in many ways, it was the first time they were seeing themselves, you know, assuming that a book like Black Ice wasn't part of their curriculum, you know, if their school wasn't progressive enough. Um, but just that idea that you were the first mirror and it wasn't, you know, an exact identical experience, but it was, I mean, you were the voice and that has led to a domino of so many other voices. And in many ways, you know, Gina and I, and what we're trying to do um, with this podcast. So I, I don't know if you fully recognize the, the weight of that work. And let's talk about Black at 2020, the Black oh, Attic. Yes. So to your point, Sam, Andre has given voice to not just those who entered into creative fields, but who are sitting in independent schools right now who recently graduated and were, were courageous enough to tell their own story. 
right? Because there was a certain amount of vulnerability that you had to muster to share your story fully, share with others, and then go back to see what is different. Do you remember the moment when you knew you had to create or develop the prep school Negro? I've had this since, I literally have had this since the ninth grade of thinking how, and I couldn't say, I thought it'd be a book. I thought it'd be a, a couple, a collection of essays. I wasn't sure what it would be. It was when I was working on a film in Baltimore with Effie Brown, a producer I really respect. She did Real Women Have Curves and has a couple of great projects coming out soon. And she's just a prolific and intense um, producer. And I was working with her. I was walking, I was doing some errand, getting doing something. And I was walking down the street and I said, oh, you know what? It's a documentary. I like film. I like education. Those two go hand in hand. So that was a number of years later when I said, oh, I think it's a documentary. And it, it, gel, it all gelled and came together. And I thought, this is it. This is what I have to do. This is, this is what I'm on this earth to do. Not even knowing what was going to happen and what it meant. And then when the Black App moment came, it was right at the top of COVID. Uh, I was locked in my apartment in the East Village thinking like, what is going to happen? And I, one day I did a series of talks. I did New York in the morning. I did, I think, somewhere in Ohio in the afternoon. I did Los Angeles in the evening. And then I did a school in Hawaii late night. And I was like, people are coming together and needing conversation, needing direction, needing guidance, and really leaning into it. It was Black Hat was a thing, the George Floyd situation had gone on, and the world was rioting and protesting. And these institutions were struggling with in new ways of saying, we have a problem. Because Black Hat, Black Hat did, I would say this, Black Hat did what my parents were doing in the parking lot, whispering to one another, you know? talking about mm. this, talking about this situation, talking about that. And the kids were like, no more whispering in the parking lot. Here is an, an international stage. We want y'all to hear what we're going through. We want the world to understand it. And I thought it was so powerful, so powerful um, for it to happen. And it was, you know, it was all over the place and it was messy, but I think that's exactly what it needed to be. It needed to be that. People needed to just verbalize that internal dialogue they were struggling with that they had been so quiet about and then I think yeah. seeing the connection of like, oh, you too? Oh, we all, I, I think so many alumni had that experience. Do you think that it makes you rethink your approach to the prep school Negro and how it delivered its message? I don't, I don't because I, I you know, and this is something my, 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 like my work wife, Catherine Wigginton, who directed a film I produced called I'm Not Racist, Am I? She once... <laughs> We're talking about um, racism. We're not going to see racism end. We're not going to see it end. Um, that doesn't mean we don't stop. We don't. That doesn't mean we stop fighting to end it. Monarch butterflies, when they start their migration journey, the millions of butterflies that are starting, they know they're not going to make it to the end of the journey. They know there are periods of them mating and recreating and gestation and, and all that. But that's not why they don't stop. They keep going. So if we think about this work on the, as the, in the arc of the monarch butterfly and accept that we all have a different role to play in it, Lorraine Carey had her moment, had her space. I had mine, you know, great book is going to, is having his right now and all the other pieces that are, it's, 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 I used to be able to know all the folks doing stuff. And now I'm like, there's so much, I can't keep track. And it's beautiful. There's, there's a moment I have. So that beautiful. I, I still love this story. I was walking, and I wonder where she is now. 
I was walking in my neighborhood, the East Village, back in Manhattan, and I turned down 8th and, 8th and Broadway, and I hear this girl look at me and scream, and I was like, hey, are you okay? And she looks, she walks, I'm sorry, and she starts crying, and I was like, what's going on? And she goes, I, I gotta tell you, I saw your film when I was a sophomore in high school, and I thought, I can tell my story too, and I'm now at Tisch studying film, because I want to find some way to communicate my ideas. And I was like, can I hug you? <laughs> she said, yes, I'm there. And I was like, this is what it's about. This is what it it's is. about, you know? And you are one of those lead beautiful butterflies who we're happy and thrilled and honored to still have on the journey with us. And you created the domino effect. And on the parent level, you know, we're talking about alumni level, current students on the parent level, I can even see the amount of parent groups, right, that are coming out and networking right behind Rise. Like we started 13 years ago, I kind of felt like we were alone, but right now I feel so thrilled and proud that parents are no longer whispering in the parking lot, right? And they're advocating, they're having voice and visibility, understanding that this investment uh, is not just about our scholars, but it is about us as a family being there to represent for them and speak when they can't speak. And then they learn from us, you know? So I am, like you said, this work isn't going anywhere. It's gonna continue to be needed, but there's just more interrupters now, right? There's more in interruption uh, to have our schools be held accountable. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of great things about an independent school. That's why we're there. Is changing lives, right? Like you think about all of the networks that you've made because of being an independent school alum, even your life's work, and you see the ripple effects. And that is rewarding. I do wonder, you know, you posed that question in the beginning of the doc, what did we gain from going inside the ivory tower? And that's a question I continue to struggle with years out. Um, and so I just want to I'd love to just hear what your relationship with that experience was and, you know, were there perhaps alternatives and, you know, did the benefits outweigh the costs of th that experience for you? Yeah, you know, Gina mentioned my sister Robin earlier. Germantown Friends School was the right place for me. It was not the right place for Robin. She, she would have burnt that place to the ground. It was not as cool as she should have gone to. I say that again and again. So I do believe these institutions are, um, it depends on the individual and what they are capable of and interested in doing and willing to um, the lift they're willing to take and some of the sacrifices they're willing to also endure. So in terms of is it worth it? You know, I'm teaching part time at Germantown Friends School right now. I'm teaching filmmaking, which wow. is really exciting. There's one young man who's made a decision about going to another school. And I talked to him and I was like, look, I want to talk to you. And my conversation is not trying to make you stay. I want to understand what you're thinking and what you're seeking. And then I want to support you in whatever choice you make. But I want to make sure you hear all the sides and you understand what's happening and you make the choice that's best for you. And it's not on some superficial stuff or something that looks bright and shiny, but actually is going to be the right place for you. So I do, I do think it is worth it to attend these schools, I think there's a, there's a tremendous education that can come from them, which is powerful and great. And then I also believe that you, I stick to my, my initial point that the individual has to make sure it's the right place for them. Because I was GFS, 
I was not a pin charter, you know, that each each school has its own setup and design and you have to this the child has to fit the school and the school has to fit the child. We still have a long way to go within that, but I I encourage and push schools to constantly look at how they are dealing with children and making sure their experiences are as profound and um, fabulous, honestly, as everybody in the institution. Yes, thank you. And um, I I can't state enough how important it is for parents to go through this process with their children. You know, and I think it also depends on whether families are going through feeder programs or not. I think the feeder programs do a great job of finding, you know, the black eyes, you know, the, the black talent. Um, black and brown talent, but I don't think they bring the family along enough. I think that they just hold on to the student and not share with the family that this is your institution as well, right? And you belong here. It was your mom, Andre, and many other Black women that made the millions for the person who then sat in your class, right? So let's talk about inheritance. So that ownership, I think it's really important to have ownership of that experience. So again, that's what the prep school Negro did. It it placed ownership on it and value on it enough to be seen in all of its, you know, glory and ugliness and challenges. Uh, And and I personally feel that it, it is worth an independent school education, again, if we're willing to work at owning that process and not letting it own us. Owning the process before you arrive. I really love that idea. And I'm, it, it, that does make me think about, you know, the nature of so many uh, feeder programs. Um, the beforehand work has so much to do with assimilation. Um, and, and I think we definitely, you know, just following that summer of reckoning, we, we really need to evaluate, reevaluate that model. Well, it's acculturation. It's acculturation over assimilation. Could you kindly clarify? I'm sorry. In terms of answering that, acculturation versus assimilation, you know, I think assimilation means, can often mean come in and just forget all that you know and be like us. Leave all that stuff at the door. You know, don't bring your vernacular, don't bring your smelly food, don't bring, and I'm doing air bunny quotes when I say that. Air style. Right. <laughs> right don't don't talk. Don't talk during the play. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All, all <laughs> That's those what things. we do. That's what we do. <laughs> all those things. That's assimilation is come in and be like us and be right, which is as old as colonialism and is as, as old as the world. Acculturation, from my perspective and understanding, you know, it's you bring in what you got. You know, you bring in your flavor. You're bringing your interest. You're bringing your curiosity. And it's not the five Fs, the food, the flags, the festivals, the parties is not that. It is actual deep understanding of, of um, language and literature and experiences and knowing that people approach this work life differently. And so I think my what I'm getting, the way I describe it when it comes to acculturation is, is uh, if I'm getting it right, what I want to see, see institutions do is really allow each individual to be who they are. And I don't, I should not feel like a guest in a stranger's house. I should feel like this is my house. To go back to the family, the family part, the whole family should be at the school, not just a student. So let's talk about the benefits. I see them happening, you know, tenfold. They're happening right here mm-hmm. with us. And so I tell people that now is the best time to apply and enroll in an independent school. All eyes are on us. 
right? Like we bring value to our communities and people are listening. When you think back 13 years ago, when you think back 10 years ago, when the, you know, the new edition came out, did you receive any feedback that was, you, you, you're talking too much, you're sharing too much, we're not changing our culture? What, what did you get back that wasn't as positive as you might have hoped? I got a lot of pushback. And the thing I think about, my grandmother used to say this, my grandmother who's, who's from down south, a hit dog will holler, you know? Not the nicest <laughs> analogy or, or metaphor. Mm -hmm. I think you get it. I'm not saying hit dogs, but mm -hmm. you know, when you tap into something that's like laying still and wake it up, they're gonna and stir up. So I, I had a lot of institutions say that this was um, problematic. I think there were some internal institutions. Like oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just, just saying, like you're called. You know, you're making us look bad. You're making us look bad by saying this. You're gonna keep. You're gonna hurt enrollment. Um, you're gonna deter families away from the experience. Also, a lot of people who were concerned, and I understood this, who were concerned, saying, you know what, people are gonna think this is what every single black boy is going through in private school because you're putting out there in the film. And I would jump in and say, well, this is my story. It's not every black boy's story. This is my individual story. But people were really nervous about that and spoke about it. And then also, I think people, I had a lot of men angry with me because that scene with my father, you know, someone just articulated, some, one of the Marberries last night said to me, we're talking, he said, you know, something you did in that film that is so powerful, and I hadn't thought about it this way, he said, you, I've known you for a long time. You've always wanted a connection with your father and you both needed like a big therapy sit down session. You went and did that with the film crew and made it a tool to help other people understand what it means to deal with a painful past and process it on camera in front of the world. And I thought, wow, I didn't think about it that way. And I've watched that scene many, many, many times. And I've seen a, lot, a number of men who've approached me and they they go through a whole an arc of experiences like, why are you going to do that? You know, you're making your dad look bad. You're making black men look bad. And then it moves to, now how should I go do that? How should I go have a talk with an absent relative or absent person that I love and really confront them with their absence? How do I do that? Um, and then turns into, you made me realize I have pain that I didn't know I had. And that, you know, what happens when somebody finishes watching, they can't do all those steps. They're just feeling they're like, why you do that? You got me feeling certain. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to feel, how to process. I've had, I've had people will come back to me 10 years later going, oh, this is what you were saying, you know? And, and that's a moment where I think, I guess this is what it means to be a pioneer because I sure wish you had seen it years ago and I had gotten the big Hollywood deals, you know, but I had to stay in the trenches and work and grind and push. But I, I, I have, you know, for every, I've had a really high approval rate and acceptance rate and people have gotten it. Some folks, it took a, took a lot longer for them to get it. You know, I went to, I went to Kenyon College. Was it, it was Kenyon. And I, you know, I would show the movie, have a conversation. We had a six-hour conversation. I was on stage for six hours. I was like, "Can y'all give me some food?" They brought me a plate. <laughs> up there, 
you know, because it was it was intense because some some white students had brought it to the school and the kids of color were like, how are y'all going to bring a film called The Prep School Negro here without confronting us? Mm-hmm. And the white kids were like, we, we wanted to have a conversation about equity and justice. They were like, yeah, but you didn't you didn't reach out to us and say, hey, we're bringing yeah, we don't like that. Friends. We don't like that. You got to you got to bring it past the brown, black and brown folks first. We got to, right. you know, give some. Yeah. Interesting. So that yeah. room, that room needed, we was six hours. That room needed a facilitated conversation and say, we are, and that, I don't know, I, I, who knows. And you know. were the facilitator. So you yes. were the media. Okay. Wow. All up mediator. on stage. All up on stage. Well, speaking of that, you have gone, um, and thanks for sharing that with your dad. I, I just want to add that I saw humanity in that moment. And I also saw your dad's pride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's so exciting to see is, and I, this is something I've been saying in my talks lately, my parents didn't put up with some of the things my grandparents put up with. I didn't put up with many of the ideas, practices, approaches that my parents put up with. The generation below me didn't put up what I put up with. That generation, your generation, Sam, doesn't put up what they put up with. But the kids today, they don't Ooh. put up with nothing. I love it. They push back, they push Nothing. back, they push back, you know, and it's like, oh, I mean, it's, as an adult, I have to be like, well, sometimes y'all are wrong, but let, I'm, I'm still <laughs> going to help you verbalize that and talk about it. Like, go ahead, tell me why this is a problem. Tell me why this is, you feel interrupted. Tell me why you don't feel heard. Tell me, explain to me how this feels like violence against you. I don't go, no, calm down. I go, what, help me understand what you're experiencing. And I, I love it. I love, I'm like, yes, keep pushing back. That's your job. That's your job to push back and work to understand as we go along. Absolutely. Yes, and I think our institutions, uh, this work will continue to move forward because our students aren't gonna have it any other way. And I'm really excited to see what the next generation is gonna be like at at independent schools. Uh, And I think that out of all of our educational institutions, because of our schools and their missions, there's this there's this compelling nature to to do this work. It's the right work to do. It's the leadership work. It's the critical thinking work, right? So I don't I don't think uh, it's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. And I'm excited that more stories are going to come up to to validate our students to continue to walk in these halls that they really have inherited and is theirs to have. Yeah. And it's making, this is making me realize, you know, you had talked about the backlash you face for uh, your, uh, your featuring aspects of things that are considered black stereotypes, such as a, you know, an absentee father and everything. And it, it does make me think about the next generation and their relationship with um, respectability. And, you know, it's so great to see us evolve, especially in the independent school space where, you know, having to previously assimilate to white culture um, and now we're being able to, you know, accept the diversity of family, the diversity of appearance and everything. Let me let's let's just add to this that one of the things that you begin to realize as you dare to develop relationships outside of your affinity space is that our white peers have absentee daddies too. You know what I'm saying? This is this is really yes. not a unique thing. You know, I, I what I realized was that it may appear to be one way, and and be totally different. You know, just because there's a nanny and a and a cook and a driver does not mean that that family 
is a family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So let's not mistake affluence for perfection or for good or for the right way, right? So it is worth it for us to get to know one another culturally, but as individuals as well. And um, I am thankful for that at an independent school because on the one hand, there might be those folks who, you know, could literally walk right past me and not see me, not (laughs) see me. But then there are those who are like, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Because this is real world. This is real world for me. This is real world for my children. So we bring value to that space. You know, our schools are lucky to have us. Major value. And I I think, you know, that what you tapped into is I think why the Prince of Negro is still relevant and why it still works. Um, I tell the story all the time. I was, I was at a screening in Oakland, California, and this like woman who I always say she was 65 year old. Are you about to say the perm story? Okay, continue. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, you gotta remind me the perm story, but I want to, I want to, I want, let me finish this one. I want to hear the perm story. I'm trying to remember okay. the perm story. The, um, 65 year old woman fell in my arms weeping after the screening. And I was very like, what did you get out of the prep school in Negro? <laughs> you know? And she said, I just connected with the idea of loss, the idea of reconnecting, the idea of talking about what I'm feeling inside. And I, I've had many, many, many white people, some of my classmates who were like, yo, you don't know what I was going through. And let me tell you. And I'm like, wow, like blown away. And I'm sitting here like, I'm sitting here because I, I, my story is a is a is a tragedy in the sense that I had so much shame attached to who I was. I went into it thinking like, wow, these wealthy people have both parents and the kid has a car. My family must be less. We're not as smart. Like I just, my little fifteen year old mind was thinking that. Um, I I interrupted every chance I get with kids today. I'm just like, Mm-mm, that is a mistake. Do not assume that it's all good over there. Um, and, and also beyond that, look at what you, look, you are here. You are here and you have resilience in the wake of the history of people of color coming to this country. It's incredible that you are from a line that survived. Um, so I have found multiple times people just really, really connected in a deep way. But what, what's, what's the perm story? Yeah, I want to know. I want to know. Okay, that. I'm sorry. That was so beautiful. I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> I was just going to say that in one of your, um, in at one of your talks, a woman, like a, a woman raised her hand and said, why, boy, why did you show that woman, your mother oh, yeah. getting the perm? Okay. <laughs> oh, get the relaxed. Wait, wait, wait. I, that, that was a Jerry curl. That was the 80s. Jerry curl. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that was process. That. Do you know what they call it? The, the 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 hair crack, the white crack. I mean, you know, like the creamy this, this, crack. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, that 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 the was really crack. that. So to go back to our story about assimilation versus really bringing our culture to the table, I was like, because that is what happens in my house, and it's real. And you people don't understand that. And I'm look at this love and this fellowship that you're seeing. And I had a whole lot of black people just like, you wrong. You ain't supposed to show that. That's yeah. too much. I think that the Jack and Jill world like came for me for that scene. They were like, we don't do that. And I was like, well, that's, oh. the, that's the respectability politics that yeah. we also have to be extremely careful of. Um, that is the, uh, as Bell Hooks runs down the imperialist 
white supremacist patriarchy and i know i'm forgetting one other word capitalist capitalist like you know what we will do why are we hiding what we will do to be as close to yeah we think as perfection as possible right yeah. And then and I, also the flip side is our ability to do whatever the heck we want to do. I mean, you know, exactly. we, we are here however we want to. They do it. Why can't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, 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 that's, that, that was, that was a real, I remember thinking like, that's my mother and look at, she's giggling. They're having a good time. They're laughing about stuff. Like, I love this little scene. And I, and I was making this, I was making this statement that I wasn't there. Because I had been in this school and thought I'm better than this moment. And I missed out on that experience. Mm-hmm. That's major. I yeah. can't get that back. That's major. It, it's, it's, it's never lost on me when Black and Brown alumni come back to teach. And it happens frequently, but not frequently enough. Mm-hmm. I, and we have this gap with the percentage of black and brown educators in front of the classroom on faculty. And I'm wondering what it is that makes some students come back and want to teach. I mean, they're compelled to do it and others not. What, why do you think that is? Why do you think some folks come back and, and others don't? And it's been, here's one story. This was, I mean, this was mind blowing. This was like something out of a Toni Morrison novel. So I was speaking at an all-girls school in Philadelphia, and they brought me in to screen one of my films, and we're watching the film, and I'm leading a conversation afterwards, and they have a mic in the middle of the aisle, and this woman steps up, and she is like, like Nell from Sula, just like beautiful, like Black woman, and steps forward to the mic, and she goes, you know, I haven't been back to the school since I graduated some 20 years ago, and I saw what you're doing tonight, and it made me interested. And I thought, okay, they're trying to change. So I'm here for the change. And I decided to get my yearbook out to reconnect and to revisit. And as soon as I opened it, there are my classmates in blackface in the 80s. And And she held it up and did like this. And she said, you know, I didn't say anything about this when I was here because I didn't know how to. I didn't know if I could. The world has changed. I'm willing to get back into this community if you all will deal with this. And you can mm. see, you can see it because all the heads of school in the front row, and you can see them just like they were free. probably there when that happened. <laughs> exactly. They froze. <laughs> they froze. And I, I'm I'm glad to say that I've seen changes in that institution. And that was a moment of um, there's your answer for why people don't come back. There's your, there's your, she just broke it down for you. She's like, I opened up the book. Just kind of reconnecting. The first thing I see was my classmates in blackface. And it took me all the way back to ninth grade, eighth grade, seventh grade, tenth grade. It took me all the way back to those times that I felt silenced. So the return to these institutions is a big deal um, for people. And everyone has to have their own process. It's not for everybody, which I get and understand. I'm, I'm lucky with my institution because I have a whole film career still going. I've, I've had a film play on Sundance on Friday. And the school is like, we like that you're out in the world and you're not just here teaching. Like you're here teaching, get yourself done, but go do your stuff. We'll support you. We'll get a co-teacher. We'll get somebody in the fill in for you. We know you take trips, you know, um, we support that uh, and we'll make it work. They, they like that I'm bringing the outside world into the institution. So it takes the institution to also change and shift 
to make sure it's a comfortable um, space that can work for um, alumni to come back and be involved. Is there any part of the prep school Negro that you wish you had not done? And and the reverse, is there anything that you wish you had done? That's a tough one. I'm scared. My mind is like scanning the movie. There is a moment when I talk about this one, it's actually one of the first interviews and I'm sitting in my bedroom upstairs and I say, you, I talk about assimilating and I say, you gotta do it. This is what I, I did it, you gotta do it. Like that's where I was at the beginning of that conversation. Cause when I made the film, I still was on a journey. I was not who I am right now. Making that movie saved my life, honestly. It saved my life. And I was still in the face of like, this is how I gotta be, this is how I'm talking, you know, assimilate, adjust. And when I'm doing it and then reconnect with my family, I was like, wow, I wasn't aware of the deep amount of shame that I had about who I was. I had a deep amount of shame that I had to let go of and reconnect with my family and on a, on a, you know, I was always there. I saw my family, but reconnecting on a new, deeper level and apologizing for my behavior and then really working to understand their experience around the school and changing that was a real serious moment. Um, anything differently? And it wasn't possible because she was not well, but I really wish I had that sit down film with my mother, like that real moment of, but she, her health did not allow for it. Um, that would have been that a dream. moment though, Andre, you know, when I saw that moment, that envelope. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You exactly. kept the envelope that was probably your letter of acceptance from Germantown Friends School. That was a sit down. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear, I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. Um, yeah, I hear that. I can't even push. I, yes. That's all yes. I can say on that. Yeah, and then I think towards the end as well, I love that moment. I, maybe she was at Germantown with you and so you all were under the big tent. She was under the big tent having conversation and people had the camera all in front of her. She's like, I'm not Andre. <laughs> I'm not Andre. <laughs> I, she, yeah. was, she was so proud, so proud. Yeah. I mean, the, was, genera the generational difference too, the conversation to Gina's point was had maybe not in your language, mm -hmm. but just the effort she made to, she probably made to get you there, to keep you there. Uh, you know, just talking about her work in the swimsuit factory and everything, the conversation was had in a, in a different language than, uh, than what might translate to a documentary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. And I also had so many powerful moments off camera that I wouldn't have wanted because um, they were ours. That was so powerful. And making this film and going through this process made me feel more comfortable to open up and share. And I think she could, she, you know, a mother knows her child. She saw me changing. She saw me changing, you know, um, and was saying certain things. She said, she said a lot to me in those last years that um, were part of the life-saving experience, the things I needed, things I needed to hear that are that are ours, that are just between she and I, that needed to be dealt with and talked about. That um, really showed me. And then yes, yes, the envelope, and then taking it around. This is people said to me constantly, "Wow, 
your mother was kind of amazing. Do you know that? You know, and I had to step back and go, well, what do you mean? She wasn't even in the movie, you know? And they're like, I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about you and what she did. She took her baby and gave him away to an institution and stepped back to let it happen because she knew that you needed something else. I mean, that's huge. That's, that's what, is there any other example of a mother's love? You know, I'm reading Bell Hook's book right now on love. And I'm like, she's digging into like, I understand what love is. And it's like, oh yeah, this is love is when you live a life that is about uplifting yourself and someone else. You know, that is, that is, that is, that is an act of love. And, and you know, that is exactly what you are doing, Andre. That's what you're doing, Sam. That's what I'm doing. That's what Rise is doing. That's what countless other people and networks and organizations are doing in our independent schools it is nothing but love right and i think that's what's going to win over the resistance because nothing can beat out love right if our children are seen valued and heard all children are seen valued and heard so andre um with these last couple of minutes i'm wondering if if comfortable, might you be able to share some updates on some of the participants in the documentary? Um, I think it was really, really uh, revisiting this 10 years later. It's interesting seeing, for example, Kimberly Drew, uh, AKA oh, Museum God, Manny, yeah, right. Damon Dash, when he comes towards the end, I it, it oh, yeah, surprised that, that, me that back then. <laughs> that catches it's you. Stephen Hill, um, Stephen among Hill, yes. so many others, so many others. Those are, you know, I'm saying big names, but are, are there any notable updates you have about any of the participants? Yeah, you, you know, everybody, everybody, I'm glad everybody's doing well. You know, a Libra, she's our young woman in the hijab. She is a nurse practitioner now. She went and got that. She hustled through hey, and hey, did it. Her. Yeah, and it's, it's what she wanted to be and do, and she's out doing her thing. Her, it's funny, her mother is like all in my world. Her mother's every time I do something on social media, she pops up like, hey, Andre, yes, this is great. You know, <laughs> I love it. Love it. Love it. Her baby girl. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then um, Mike, Mike um, Brown is, Mike Brown like had a way of it uh, for a while, and he's, he's on his feet now, making it happen. And he's also like this like crazy workout, guy that was featured on like um google mike brown oh what's that i don't even know what it's called mike brown is, is was, was featured on um espn google mike brown espn and see what this boy his these workouts he do that are just out of control a, a brie which i love talking about brie went out into the, the digital world and was working in a space and then you know was was not feeling what she was doing um at a large company and the last time i remember she's at pin interest and working and so on at some high level and making them think about their diversity, equity, equity, inclusion questions, like pushing for it. And KJ calls me every couple of months with some major, major project that he's managing. He's a finance guy and is killing it. He's in Colorado now, I think, and um, making making it happen. You know, they're all, they're all, which is great. They're all, all the four kids I feature are rocking it. And then, yeah, Kimberly Drew, Museum Mammy. I'm telling you, when I saw her, when she, when she was 15, I was like, there's a glow around that young woman, like 
just film her, whatever she says, and to see what she's done. She has changed the art world. Google Kim Kimberly Drew. Oh, we've we've seen her, and um, oh, I recognized her. I said, I know that face. I know that face. I was like, oh my goodness, a prep school Negro, right? And you know, certainly on social media, you know, she's she's all over the place and has really Love contributed that. to the art world. And Sam, you shared how she, you know, changed the way the the muse, um, studio, studio museum museum mm -hmm. operates, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. She's great. Well, she's great. She's awesome. She's awesome. She she's always laughed. She's like, oh, Andre, I had a perm and door knockers on. I was like, and you were beautiful. That's right. <laughs> and just recently cut the locks, I noticed, yeah. you know, going through yeah. that evolution too. So it was Brie the girl that was from the affluent family. Yeah, Brie was a woman. And 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 for her to move in. So that that was exactly. somewhat of an evolution for her. Exactly. I am sure watching herself in the prep school Negro you know, was that, that, that image, that reflection that she saw has now led her to do DEI work. Whereas she was the girl that didn't have to sit at the black table. She was, you know, at the white table. That's well, I, really think, I think, the thing, and I, I've learned this over time that me in this film versus them in this film is a whole different ball game. Like I get so excited talking about it and seeing that just like, ooh, you had me frozen in time some many years ago and I'm very different. And I haven't had the chance, like, like cause I've got to talk to people and they've seen me grow and change and challenge. And for them, it's like- So do you have any ideas of bringing them all back together? A reunion? Are you are you offering to help me fundraise to do a project? I'm down. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I think that that is that's some real talk. I mean, you know, uh, to the degree that I could be of any service, but I, if I'm playing the seed right now, I think that it's, you know, I would love it. PSN. What about, what about uh, AJ? Isn't he? Isn't he in some funding capacity? <laughs> AJ. 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 Yes. <laughs> we gonna circle around AJ. Let me run it. Let me run it. I know, right? Let me run it by him. Like AJ, support this. That's right. KJ, thank you for your pledge. This has been recorded. <laughs> I do believe that blacks black black at in the summer of 2020, we have seen some dip in numbers of black and brown folks applying, right? Like I'm not, I'm not buying into that, right? And one of the things that I wanna focus on, I mean, that story is real, it's still palpable. We're dealing with institutionalized stuff, but there's a lot of joy too. Yeah. And to be able to revisit all that these, you know, those four folks that you featured have accomplished in their life and, you know, the paths that they have found, like there is a way out. There's a, there's a good way out. Um, and so I think telling those stories as well is going to be really important in helping mm. a new group of people say, you know what, I can see myself there. I can see my children yeah. there. Yeah. And also to have them come together as adults. You know, because they they were, I mean, I had I had four, they were all different, all different people, you know, all different young people, and they've all gone in different directions. And I love for them, I love to revisit with them and talk about where they are now. Cause it's 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 it hasn't been easy, you know, but they've made it. They've made well, at it. At the very least, maybe we can have you all back on the podcast. How about that? Oh, I'd love that. But yes, yes, you you depicted them, you showed them and featured their words so beautifully and in a respectful you know, way too. I, I yeah, you didn't take advantage of that situation. They should be very very proud of their contribution to that mm -hmm. documentary. Yeah, Excellent. Andre Robert Lee. So yeah. 
What do the listeners have to look forward to in 2022 from Andre Robert Lee? I am, um, I have another film I'm working on right now. I have these two artists, they're called the Ladd Brothers, um, William and Stephen Ladd. And they have been working inside Rikers Island for about 10 years now. And they use art as a tool to heal. So, you know, I was like, oh, really? So do I. And we've been docu- I'm gonna be, I'm gonna document their experience. They do these, they do these major events called scrollathons. That's part of their art installation where they bring all kinds of people together to work, collaborate, build with discipline, with focus and concentration. And everybody like takes part and they build these like huge pieces. And I found them, I, I found them so interesting. And I wanna try and deconstruct, you know, why are these two white guys up in Rikers Island making art? Why are they going inside prisons? Why are they going to these communities? They're two white boys from St. Louis, Missouri, you know? Like what it what's what's your interest about? And they are, and they also they are really dynamic and incredible. When you meet them, you meet them after 20 minutes, you're like worn out because they just have high energy and exciting and interesting. And they're good, they're good, loving people, you know, and they're also on their journey of identity and experience. Um, so I'm work, I got a partnering with my, with my boy from Riverdale. You know, um, we started out with another project that didn't work out. And then Condé Nast reached out to us about this project. And I was like, word. And so we we took it from Condé That's Nast mm-hmm. and went in a different direction with it. You know, it's a, a film project take a long time to put together. But that is that one. We are, we've already done some filming. That's going to be my next big project. I, I that's, Yeah, that. And a couple of the small little ideas. I just had that film in Sundance, which just came out. And that is still, that's making the routes the route right now. Um, What's the name of that project. film again? The one that's the Sundance one? It's called Meet Me Where I Am. Meet Me. And I can give you a link. If you if you Google Meet Me Where I Am, Utah Health, you'll see a really great page. It's a really great story about a, a man who was um, a, a brother who lived in Utah. Utah is a 1% Black population. And he was strung out and on drugs from like the age of 11 to 55. And he's just got cleaned up and reconnected with his family and his, and when you meet him, his name is Adolphus. He's amazing. So it's a story about love, about what, how love pulled him out of that existence in life. And what about Lisa Ling? Aren't you working? Did I say her name correctly? You said her name correctly. That, that's a, that's a thing. Ugh, talk, this is, this is the self-care moment. Okay. They invited <laughs> me back. They invited me back to do another episode for this current, this coming season. You and it could, I could not fit in my schedule. And I was like, I need to live and not die by doing this show, my movie, teaching. I'm doing another project with the Department of Education in California, looking at their mental health programs and making short films about that. So I had to say, I love you, Lisa, but it doesn't fit in my schedule right now. She's beyond, she's beyond. She's fantastic, fantastic. She's everything everything you see. Check out her new show, Takeout. Oh my God. And it, it's going to make you hungry. It's going to fill your heart. Because we know we need to, our, our Asian brothers and sisters need our love because we have not done right by them. And Lisa is a true warrior, soldier, leader in that movement of her people, which are our people. And yes. her new show, Takeout, looks all at, like, it's all about the food. How about the food of Asian cultures around the world? And it's, I watched it. I made a second watch at 10 o'clock and I was like, I'm really hungry right now. And <laughs> it ain't too much food. <laughs> Let me just give a quick shout out to our Asian brothers and sisters who, at least at my school, they have finally stepped from behind to have their voice 
and to be seen starting their own affinity groups. I mean, I know that many other awesome. schools have that, but I've watched that evolution. Well, thank yeah. you so, so much, Andre Robert Lee. Um, this has been, you have sat on top of our articulating wish list. And I think we wanted to, we kept putting it off, asking you, asking you. And finally we said, you know what? What if we just asked him? And you said, yes, we're so grateful. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. I love what you're doing. And it's so important. I'm honored to be here, honored to be here and to be invited. So thank you. Well, that concludes another episode of Articulating. If you enjoyed this discussion, please pass it on to a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Articulating. That's at Artic, period you lading. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.